Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Kelly Wisness. Hi, this is Kelly Wisness. Welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. We're pleased to welcome back Andy Sutton, a software architect on the Bessler IT team who specializes in reimbursement software. In this episode, Andy will share changes to the CMS Intern and Resident Information System, better known as IRIS. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us today, Andy. Um, and we're going to go ahead and just jump in today. There are some changes to IRIS this year. How about providing us with some background information first on it? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Now, I know it's never a good idea to start with assumptions, but I think if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you have a basic understanding of reimbursing residency programs. But just in case, the very basic premise is that teaching hospitals get a lot of reimbursement or money from the government. It's basically an incentive. So there's a place for new doctors to learn more about whatever specialty they want to practice in the future. Now, in order to get those reimbursement dollars, they have to fill out fields in their cost report, which it kind of, if you don't know a cost report, it's kind of like a big tax return for the hospital. Every year they put it out, it has a bunch of uh, numbers in it, uh, profits and expenses, things like that. But in that report, there are fields they have to fill out, um, which are FTE counts, and um, they're filtered a number of different ways. And in order to document those FTE counts, they have to submit an IRIS. Like you said, that's the Intern and Resident Information System file, or until now, files with their cost report. And those show how they calculated the FTE numbers that they put in the cost report. Now, those files (laughs) then go through a fiscal intermediary or a MAC, and they use software, um, and that's created by CGI Star Systems, that recalculate the FTE counts. And then that is the way they verify the accuracy of the numbers that go in the cost report. And really that in a nutshell is how you go from having teaching hospital to basically documenting uh, your residence and uh, submission uh, so you get your reimbursement. Okay, great, thank you for that. And why are they making the changes? Well, there's a few reasons. Now, the the first thing is that the files that they sent that they used currently up until now um, were all based on old software uh, architecture. So things like DBase and DOS, which are totally defunct now, nobody really uses them anymore, except in this process, they still are. Um, but that's going away. Uh, so that's one thing they want to modernize. Um, so another thing is. They don't want to over-reimburse, right? They don't want to have to pay out more money than um, is deserving of the teaching programs. And one of those, the main way that happens is if, not on purpose, but if two facilities try to claim the same resident in the same period of time, you can't do that, right? And that's considered a conflict. And so this is going to be a giant repository where they'll be able to uh, check between facilities and make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. Now they they were they did do that in the past, but I think it was a little bit um, more segmented regionally. Uh, it was a little harder to do, so they'll be able to do that a little bit better. And then one other thing is um, they're asking for more information now, 
those files that you send in, they use those, like I said, to calculate the FTEs for the numbers that are put into the cost report. And there's quite a few of them uh, and all for uh, Iris. Um, now, in the past, they could calculate a few of them with the files, but they want to be able to calculate more. So now there will be more fields in the file that they that facilities submit with the cost report. Thank you for that. Um, and so the file that gets submitted is actually changing, right? That's true. That's true. So like I said, the old uh, software system called DBase was what they used. And in the past, it was two files. There's an M and an A file, um, master and assignment. Master was basic demographic information, uh, you know, graduation dates, names, things like that. Um, and then the other file was called assignments, which, you know, is synonymous basically with rotations. So two files, um, demographics and rotations, and that's getting changed into an XML file, which is still isn't new architecture. It's been used a long time. Um, but it's still in use a lot, and uh, it will bring it down to one file, and everything will go into that one file. Uh, XML is kind of a hierarchy um, data file where at the top it'll be the facility, the fiscal year, and under that it'll have a list of residents, and under each resident they'll have the list of rotations. So that's basically what the new file will, be look, will look like. Can you go into more specifics of the extra information that teaching hospitals will need to provide? Sure. Now, like I said, it's it's broken up in kind of two kinds of information. So the new kind of demographic information is one, very exciting. You have to do a middle name instead of just a middle initial. Yes, very exciting. But uh, a lot of the issues with the old structure were, was space. So I think in the past, they kind of did things that they could to save space. Now you don't. XML files can be almost as big as you can make them, and software can read giant files. So no more middle initial. They want the middle name. Now, the other thing, um, they call this the year one non-IRP residency code. And what that is basically, uh, when a new resident goes to a teaching hospital, they do, obviously, a residency. Now, some of them have a full uh, residency period, internal medicine, something like that, and that's, you know, three, four years, whatever that is. But in some situations, they come in and do one year um, to start. So that would be what they call a transitional year, or in some cases, they do uh, preliminary medicine or preliminary surgery. Uh, and then this one other situation called simultaneous match, which we may or may need not uh, need to um, talk about more. Uh, but what they want now is that they always want to be able to know what that first year was. Usually they do that first year and then they do whatever full residency they do in the ensuing years of their their whole uh, residency. Now, in the past, uh, basically every year you would send in these files and the first year they would know, hey, yeah, they did this first year as a one year thing before they moved on. Um, but then in ensuing years, those files would no longer have any reference back to the fact that they did that. So from now on, they want that. So now it'll include always include that first year um, of whatever they did and then 
it'll have whatever their current residency code is. Uh, and there's, there's machinations for that on how you calculate the number of years um, that you get full reimbursement for uh, that particular residency. Um, and then on the side of the rotations, there's a few as well. Like I said before, there's a number of fields and some of them that weren't, they couldn't calculate based on the files in the past they want to now. One is uh, residents that have rotations at non-provider settings. And that is, I, I feel like I'm doing a lot of definitions during this, but uh, it's, it's necessary in most cases. So a non-provider setting, basically a facility has a resident. And sometimes that resident will go out of the hospital to do rotations, say a clinic or a doctor's office. Now, a clinic or a doctor's office can't claim that resident for reimbursement the same way as a hospital can. So as long as there's an agreement in place, the hospital gets to still claim the, that time for the reimbursement. So that's called a non-provider setting. So there's a field that just has a number of FTEs that residents did at a non-provider setting. So that's one. Now, two other ones are called inpatient psych and inpatient rehab. Um, don't need to do big definitions on that, but they do like that basically filtered out into the FTEs that fall into that type of bucket. Uh, another thing is they now want to know if the resident you are claiming is a displaced resident. So again, displaced resident being they were at a facility and something happened there. And I know of a couple that we've gone through. I know Hurricane Katrina uh, closed down some hospitals in Louisiana. So those residents went to other places. Uh, sometimes hospitals go out of business. And those, if, they, if it's a teaching hospital, those residents need somewhere else to be. So there is, again, a field in the cost report where they need a count of FTEs of their displaced residents. And this is now a way uh, that you couldn't in the past. Now you can calculate those. Uh, another one is new program FTEs. Um, the first year of a program when, when a hospital has uh, a new program, the first year it's considered a new program. Uh, that's weird, huh? No, but those, those FTEs also need to be calculated. They go in a different field and now they'll be able to do that. And I think that about rounds up most of the important new fields in the, uh, those files. Wow, that was a lot of great information. Thanks, Andy. Um, are there any changes that facilities need to know about that might alter the way they're used to documenting resident demographics and rotations? Yeah, there's there's a few. Um, now, one thing is we talk about residencies and residency codes. So when you're filling out this file, there's a code in the file that says what the resident is doing. Now, there's a lot of these codes that are documented. I, there's over 500 of these codes. And in the past, you could use those codes pretty much when needed. But apparently... and. <laughs> Some of these things I found out in this, we've, we've been doing meetings for close to seven years and doing this whole process, but there's really uh, 150 to 170 codes that you're allowed to use as initial residency code. So that's not really a change, but they will be looking at that. In the past, they didn't really verify those things. Uh, now they will be. And again, with the residency codes, uh, 
there's for each code that you use, uh, there is an initial residency period. And basically, that's determined by, uh, you know, the American Medical Association, how many years it should take um, for a resident to go through a program. Um, now, the reason that's important is because whatever that documented number is, as long as that resident's in that program, they will get reimbursed fully for that time that they've decided is the necessary time they need to, you know, be proficient in that specialty. Now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes they'll it'll take longer for a doctor to finish their residency. But once they're outside of that initial residency period, the hospital only gets half the reimbursement. Now, why that's important in this case is that those initial residency periods are, now we're not saying they're changing because during this whole uh, process, uh, CMS has told us this is what it should have been. So some periods are going to be different now than what we were using in the past. Some are a little bit longer, some are a little bit shorter, um, but they'll be a little bit different and that needs to be known. Now, we were told on these things, we talked about this, they won't be going back and checking to see if they were using some, uh, some value in the past that is no longer true today. Um, but that is something that needs to be known going forward. And then lastly, we'll bring up the simultaneous match one more time. Um, simultaneous match is, is a one year introduction year, simultaneous match. So when they go, when a resident signs up to, to go to a teaching hospital, they have a residency code or they have one of those three one year codes that I mentioned, or they can go in and they match. Basically they do one type of residency the first year. And then for the rest of their residency, they do a different type of residency. And there are actual combinations that need to be used. In the past, I'm not sure how they checked this or if they did check it, but they will be checking it, um, that you can't just willy-nilly decide, oh, these are the two codes we're using. There's actual codes uh, that are used for simultaneous match residents. Um, so I think those would be good things for facilities to know. One other thing um, that facilities will need to know is uh, kind of the definition of what a conflict is. Now, in the past, a conflict was basically don't go more than 100% of time for any given day in two different facilities. Kind of makes sense, right? You can't be in two places for more than 100% of the time. So in the past, what would happen would be if... A resident was at two facilities, let's take uh, February just because it's easily broken up. Let's say for the month of February, for one week, they were at one facility, and for the other three weeks, they were at a different facility. Now, in the past, what was acceptable and what they actually wanted, uh, again, going back to the whole saving space thing in the old files, what they would do was both of the different facilities would claim the date range of February, right? What is that? January, February, March, uh, <laughs> 2 1 to 2 28. Um, and then they would put in the percentage of time. So the one facility would say they were at my facility for 75% of the time, and the other facility would say they were at mine for 25% of the time. Well, that is not what they want you to do anymore. Because we have the space, um, 
they want you to break it up. So say the third week was the one week they were at a different facility. They're going to want the first two weeks at the first facility at 100%, that third week at the other facility for 100%, and the last week at 100% for the first facility. Now, this could be a challenge for a lot of uh, hospitals because the way it was done was not like that. They would always use a date range and just say the percentage of time. Um, now, and this is something that I think they'll be working out over the year because in the case that somebody does something, and this happens, it's, it's rare, but it happens, they do something on the same day at two different facilities, then obviously they're going to need to have that date and a percentage of time. So say it was half a day, 50% at one and 50% of the other. So there's got to be some kind of wiggle room on the ability to actually have overlapping date ranges with percentages that add up to 100% or less. Um, but in general now, they want all rotations broken up if there's any change of uh, location where the reimbursement is at a different place. And that that will be a challenge. Fabulous. And when will these changes go into effect? Well, they are currently in effect in a way. Um, now, CMS sent out a memo a couple months ago Um and they kind of delineated some of the changes and the start dates for those things. Basically, the two things in effect right now are for any fiscal year ends of September 30th, 2022. So that was last year, um, but it takes time before the cost report. So a lot of people are still working on these things. Um, the requirement is that they submit using the new XML file. That's the only requirement right now. Now, the other time uh, constraint is starting fiscal year end September 30th, 2023. So the end of this year, at that point, they will start uh, rejecting cost reports if the file that you send in does not calculate correctly to what the, the fields are in the cost report. So just to kind of go through that one more time. When you send in these files based on what your residents did, you don't send the actual FTE numbers, the actual full-time equivalent numbers. What you send in is date ranges and percentages of time at your facility or, you know, at a, a place where you get to claim them. Um, so therefore, uh, when the file gets submitted, they use this software, CGI Star System software. They take that data in there with the percentages and they recalculate all those numbers. They take the numbers that they recalculate and they compare it to the cost report numbers in the fields of the, you know, the summation of those uh, FTE counts. Now, they need to match, obviously, because you're using the software to calculate those and put it in the in the report. They want to be able to use the same numbers and verify that the numbers are the same. Now, it's they're kind of giving a one year bubble, if you will, um, it seems. And I, I haven't heard of anybody actually going through this whole process yet so and actually if anybody listening has any information wants to talk about their story on how it's going uh for them with this new process uh, i'm sure we'd love to hear about it 
So for a year, they'll be able to basically make sure this new process is working correctly, maybe work out kinks. Because we we all, you know, we um, did a lot of testing to make sure that, you know, the software is calculating correctly. But once you get it out into the real world, facilities have different processes. They do things different. They're going to be submitting these files and there's going to be differences. And I think what they want, they want this one first year. They're not going to just, you know, reject a cost report because the numbers aren't going to adding up. They're going to say, hey, is it? Is it a problem with the new system? Do we need to change the way we're doing things? Or maybe just as a way that, you know, um, hospitals can feel out the process and make sure they're doing everything correctly. So for that year, um, I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth, making sure uh, all the changes that they're putting in place are working. Great. Thank you. And any final thoughts for us, Andy? Yeah. Um, well, because of the new process, there there are there were some teaching hospitals out there that could manually do this. They didn't have to use somebody else's software um, or purchase software in order to do this. Um, so they would basically create a spreadsheet. They'd turn it into a DBase DBase file, and they could submit it. Well, unless they have programmers on site that have the whole infrastructure um, to create this new XML file, they won't be able to. So it is mo almost all facilities now will need to use um, Iris software going forward. Um, and that's from the biggest to the smallest uh, facilities out there. And, um, and of course, Bessler, we have uh, iRotations, which uh, we use to do that process. But besides that, I think that kind of wraps it up. That's great. And thank you so much for joining us today, Andy, and for all of this great information. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. Until next time. This concludes our episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help protect and optimize revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.